so this morning I want to talk about revival. We need a revival. And uh, this sermon is blamed on my son Christopher because uh, for Christmas he decided that he would buy me all these books and revival. So he bought me these three different books uh, on revival. And so as I'm reading them, that just stirs my heart so much because that's something that uh, Judy and I both desire. We want to see revival in our time. We want to see revival in this community, in this area, in this nation. And so as I was reading these uh, books about revival, it was talking about uh, in, in Canada back in the 1857 uh, revival that uh, happened in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, not too many books uh, talk about that one. But there was a revival here, uh, revival in New York. And, of course, the uh, Welsh Revival. And, and those revivals have happened all over the world. I'm sure anyone that is joining us online uh, said, yeah, there's been a revival that's happened in our country. And uh, pretty much every country of the world, there's been a revival at some time that has taken place. Some have experienced multiple uh, revivals that have taken place even here in North America. Uh, a few in Canada, but we're believing for many, many more. So I want to read a portion of Scripture from Acts chapter 2. And to me, that's, that's kind of the, the picture of what revival is. When you're kind of figuring out, well, what is a revival? And, uh, well, Acts chapter 2, I think, is a great portion of Scripture to read. We're only going to read a few verses uh, about that. We're not going to read it the whole chapter. Uh, but that might be something good for you to do uh, later on. So Acts chapter 2, 17, 21. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke, the sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May the Lord add his blessing uh, to his word today. I like reading that passage of scripture and I I like reading at the end because it's talking about the end that the Lord is coming again. And so until that time comes, it says, God says, I will pour out my spirit. It's not a one-time thing. Uh, God has continued to pour out his spirit upon our world, upon our land. And for anyone who is seeking him, they will experience God and they will find God and they will experience salvation. Reading this passage here of uh, the outpouring on the day of Pentecost in the Bible, we see it was a day of unusual signs and wonders. The Bible talks about a sound from heaven that is described as a roar, as if a mighty windstorm was taking place and the sound filled the area and especially the building where the people had gathered to pray and wait on the Lord. There was also a supernatural sign, it tells us, where flames of fire were seen settling on people's heads and then that exploded into where people began to speak in languages of other nations as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. People from countries around Israel, as far away as Rome, had gathered for the celebration of the festival of Pentecost, and they were surprised when they heard this loud sound from the heavens. And of course, when you hear a loud boom, you kind of uh, figure out, where did it come from? 
And they began to search where it came from. And they came to the upper room where there was a group of people that were praying and seeking God and experiencing God. And so as the people came running there, they discovered that something supernatural was taking place. They heard people praying. They heard people speaking in their own languages. And they were surprised, wondering, well, how do these people know our languages? And they were hearing in their own languages people glorifying and praising God for his goodness. And obviously, some of the believers were obviously struggling under the power of God because many of the people that came kind of thought, well, maybe these people are drunk because obviously they were staggering under the power and presence of God. And so there was an amazement that hit the community as they came running to see what this supernatural event was. Of course, in that crowd, there's always those you'll get that'll criticize. And there were there those that were there and they were ridiculing them. But most of the people weren't ridiculing. They were being touched and recognized this is a God thing that is taking place. And that led to the apostle Peter to stand up and began to preach and telling the people what they must, be, must do to be saved. And uh, so he shares them the story of Jesus and uh, how that Jesus loves them and died for them. And, uh, and then cries out to them that they need to be saved and to welcome Christ in their lives. And they did. There was a great response uh, that day. And it tells us that over 3,000 people responded to Christ that day. 3,000 people also were baptized that day in water as well. And so that was quite an awesome, awesome day. 3,000 people responding to be saved, expressing their belief in Jesus and getting baptized. And from that one Holy Spirit encounter, thousands were added to the church. The Bible says that people start coming to the Lord on a daily basis. It wasn't just on Sundays, but on every day of the week, people were committing their lives to Jesus. And so it led to a time of extreme growth, conversions, Uh, personal commitments to the Lord, miraculous signs, wonders, healing, salvations, extreme generosity, a deep sense of awe and favor over the church. And so that was rather interesting. But it's also interesting to note that this wasn't a one-day event. And sometimes we look at the day of Pentecost as a one-day event, happened once, it's over. But as you look to the scriptures and look to the book of Acts, you'll see that it continued. People continued to be saved. Uh, There was continual signs and wonders and miracles that were taking place. And as we look at the history of our world, we continue to see that God does great things throughout history. He's still moving by his spirit. He's still pouring on his spirit to those who would seek him, those who are looking for him. And sometimes he pours out his spirit even when we're not looking for him. Sometimes when our world is at its very worst, God suddenly comes in and pours out his spirit upon people. And that's something that we need today. There are times, you know, in history, as you start looking at history, history is a valuable teacher. And I know as going through this COVID time, uh, we would really get away from a lot of controversies and uh, bitterness and hatred that has risen uh, during this time. Uh, and all these uh, other thoughts that are out there and conspiracies, those things, if we just simply look to history and read what has taken place 
and history. And there's been mighty outpourings of the Holy Spirit throughout the ages. You can read the, the Bible and uh, look to the Old Testament. You read uh, especially the chapters of the, uh, talking about the kings of Israel. And, and there were times where there was great prosperity, that people were seeking God, and things were going really good and really wonderful. And then as the people went away from God, they were going through numbers of years where it wasn't good. Things were not good. Uh, captivities and destruction, terrible things that took place. But even in the midst of that, there was always a time, as you read about the kings, where the Spirit of the Lord would once again move upon the kings, move upon the people of Israel, and they would return to the Lord, and they would have years, many years of revival. And as you look at that from the Old Testament, New Testament, and to the history of our world, you will see that the same thing continues to take place in our world, where God suddenly moves from time to time upon our world in different places of the world to touch people that they might come to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, th- that has happened just, I think, about just about every uh, country uh, of the world where there have been revivals that have taken place throughout our history. And even in Canada, we haven't really had a, a coast-to-coast revival uh, but I'm believing that we will. I, I really believe that's coming. But there have been revivals that have taken place uh, all over the place, very much like the day of Pentecost. And these outpourings of the Holy Spirit, I would call them revivals. And, uh, you know, they are happening. Think of Australia, Korea, Argentina, Nigeria, other parts of Africa, United States, Canada, UK. Like wherever you go, you can find a story of revival. Indonesia, uh, stories of revival there. Um, just so many places where there has been revival. And, you know, even in North America, we are familiar in our lifetime of revivals that have taken place. We think of the airport revival or the Toronto Blessing, as some called it, uh, charismatic renewal amongst the Catholics. And uh, I consider that a revival. The Pensacola revival down in Florida. The Mobile uh, revival. Uh, the Kansas City revival. The International House of Prayer that, where it took place. The Florida Lakeland revival. The Reading revival uh, are, are just some of the revivals that we know about in our day and uh, that have had the blessing to be a part of as well. There's been a number of churches that have been blessed to be present uh, some of those revivals, uh, think of the Mobile Revival, and there was, a, I think it was about 26 of us went down uh, to that one. Uh, we think of uh, Reading when we took a bus and we went down to that one. The Kansas City, we sent our worship team down uh, to that one. Uh, when the Argentinians uh, were here that led the revival in Argentina, there was a number of us that went down to Red Deer where they were speaking and uh, experience that, or uh, being with uh, Enoch Adeboy in uh, Lagos. And uh, that was definitely a highlight for Judy and I to be in a place where there are millions, literally millions of people worshiping the Lord in one place. And uh, that, to me, that should be a, a seventh wonder of the world as far as I'm concerned. And uh, it's still going. Millions and millions of people gather together at one time and are worshiping the Lord. It is a, definitely a sight to behold. So God is moving by his spirit. And uh, we could definitely use it, another move of God, like Pentecost here in Canada and around the world. And 
Revival is really something that I, I long for, I'm believing for. Uh, I know I've been here, I think we're coming up to 27 years, and I, I still believe that God has something big and powerful yet to come for our church and for our community. And I know that many of you sense the same thing, and we also have known many prophetic people that also sense the same thing, and we continue to get uh, letters, emails, uh, from around the world where people are saying to expect something big to happen in this area. And so I am, I am, I really am. Sometimes I kind of say, tell Lord, could you speed it up? I'm getting older, you know. And uh, Lord, uh, some of our folks are getting older too. We could really use this now. But God has his timing, and that's something we got to wait for. But revivals get people back to focusing on God and living good and holy lives, uh, where priorities get changed to where they really should be. Lifestyle changes happen for the better. People begin to talk good about one another, and we begin to treat one another with respect, where racism, discrimination gets dealt with, animosity against others gets broken, and we start loving one another as we should be. We start loving people as equals. And so revivals don't just change churches. Revivals just don't change Christians. Revival changes communities and nations. You know, I know there's been a lot of talk about a reset and people wanting to do a government reset during this COVID time. Well, if you want to look at history, there have been resets, but the resets that we need are God resets. And when God makes a reset, you know, it doesn't just affect the church, it affects governments, it affects nations, and that's what we really need. We need the God reset, not a government reset. You know, and I've been reading these books on revival that my son gave me uh, during Christmas, and uh, that's why I'm doing a message different than what I normally would do. Normally I have all my points down, and so you're getting one that's different today. And, and that's just because of the inspiration I received after just reading these books about revival that happened in the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And they just referred out of these three books to uh, Hamilton, Ontario, New York and the States, and Wales, uh, some of these revivals that affected the nation. I know there are many more that we could refer to, but the books were written on these and eyewitness accounts of what was taking place. You know, and I found it kind of interesting as well to note that in 1857, there were some things going on in the world that are very similar to things that are going on in our world today. Kind of tells us that we really don't learn from history, uh, that we really should be checking up on our history so that we don't repeat ourselves. But, you know, interesting things. Uh, 1857, Europe just came through the Crimea War, where Russia was at war with much of Europe and came in and invaded uh, uh, Crimea. And, you know, what is happening today? They already took uh, Crimea, and now they're looking uh, to come into Ukraine. Same thing all over again. Ireland just came through the potato famine, where there was mass starvation and disease. The United States was on the verge of civil war. There was also an international depression of the economy and bank collapses that were taking place at that time. And all that contributed to a lot of unrest and fear in the world. And when you look at the history of the city of Hamilton, Ontario, there was an epidemic, a widespread disease of cholera 
that was happening then. And it was so bad that wagons would go through the streets every day to pick up the dead. And they would take the dead and they would bury them. They also sent wagons out every day to pick up, you know, your dog, your cat, your your animals that were also dying. And uh, they'd be taken to the dump and burned. So even in the midst of an epidemic, it's, you know, we realize a revival started to take place in the midst of an epidemic. There's also another interesting part that I, I kind of found really interesting was that during this epidemic, conspiracies and false information abounded. Isn't that interesting? Another thing that was also abounding was racism, discrimination against other people, and especially at that time against the immigrants. You know, and you read that, and it's kind of saying, you know, it's too bad we don't learn from history because history is a great teacher. I think about that in our schools. I don't know if we have any of our teachers here today that teach history, but I think that's one of the most important things to be taught because we're forgetting about history. Uh, we don't realize. We, we kind of make, oh, today's the worst day it could ever be, and we don't look back in history to realize, no, it's not. Things like this have happened before. Also at this time, back in 1857, there was a, uh, a train derailment in Hamilton. 59 people lost their lives, which was at the time considered the greatest train tragedy in Canada, and I think is still considered the greatest train tragedy in Canada. So that was the setting where revival took place. It wouldn't sound to you like that's the perfect conditions for revival, but you know, it's often in times of distress and turmoil in our world where God comes in and he just shows up and starts doing great things and drawing people back to himself and bringing people to his knowledge. And interesting that, you know, as you've read about these revivals, most of them said, they noted that most times these revivals came a period during periods of hardship in the world of what was taking place. That was the setting in the world at that time. And revival started happening around the world. And, you know, I, again, as I, I think of Hamilton, it, I say like, wow, that has a lot of similarities to us today. And as I thought about that and thought about these revivals happening in different places, in, in Wales, New York, I got thinking that, well, God, we're kind of in the same situation again. The world is a mess, which to me is kind of telling us we're at the right time, poised for a great revival, for a reset, a correction to take place from God himself. So what is a revival? Sometimes people ask me that. Well, revival is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, just like the day of Pentecost, where people are drawn to faith in Jesus Christ, and it's the divine work of God that comes at God's timing, not ours, but his. I like the definition of the Welsh revival, and I think that one's up there. Uh, revival is a divine visitation in which God is saying to us, see what I can do without the things that you are depending upon. See what I can do in answer to a praying people. See what I can do through people who are ready to fall in line and depend wholly and absolutely upon me. I really like that one. Another is revival is purely about salvation and holiness. The setting of our lives apart for God. And this is the true spirit of revival. And that's very, very true. Revival is about salvation, bringing people to Christ. 
That is so important. That is God's desire that all the world would be saved. And that's what God desires. And so when we don't do our jobs, God sometimes just comes in upon the world and begins to minister and break in upon people where people just start crying out for God for no reason. They're not even in a church. They're just crying out for God. God, I need you. And God does our job sometimes because we're not doing it of reaching our world. But revival is not only does it bring salvation, it causes Christians to do their job of evangelism, to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. One last uh, definition would be revival is a visitation in which God is making men conscious of himself without any human agency. And uh, we've been hearing stories like that from around the world where uh, God has just been moving up on people. They're having divine visitations and they're getting saved and crying out to God. I, I've heard that in, even in our own community where people are just saying, you know, I had an encounter with God. That's why I'm in church today because I had an encounter with God. He spoke to me. And uh, that is happening and I'm believing for even more. Which kind of brings us to that what to expect in revival. Um, what will they do? Well, as we look at that, I just want to kind of refer to those three revivals uh, that I was reading about. And this Hamilton revival started with a prayer meeting. And you will note as you read throughout history, almost every revival started with a prayer meeting. Whether it was one person praying or whether it was 10 people praying, most times there were never large groups of people praying. Usually it was very small groups that were praying and then suddenly, God moved. Well, in this revival, uh, starting in Hamilton, it uh, involved this couple, the Palmers. They were from New York. Uh, they'd been speaking in Ontario. And on their way back on the train, there was a luggage problem. The luggage didn't come through. And so they, they stopped their journey in Hamilton by Providence. Little did they know. And when other pastors heard that they were in the city... They got a hold of them and said, could you come to our prayer meeting and speak to our prayer meeting? And so the first gathering of prayer meeting wasn't a really a large group. And she began to share and talk and challenge them. And the Spirit of God just began to move. And then more and more people started coming and coming and coming to those prayer meetings. She challenged them in the area of pray, uh, prayer, to pray seriously, to give time to pray, uh, to, to come to prayer gatherings. She also challenged them, which I found was a little unusual, but I shouldn't have been thinking that, but she talked to them about tithing. And I kind of thought, wow, that was interesting that she would talk about tithing, giving 10% of your income to God. But she went beyond that and she said, you know, it's not just about giving your 10%, your monies to God, but also giving your talents, giving your activities, uh, your times of evangelism, dedicating all those things to God, prioritizing God in your life once again. And that's something that's uh, really a basic of the faith, where as Christians, we need to prioritize to make sure that God has first place in our lives. And it's very easy that we get, you know, there's so many things we can do in our world. We're very blessed here in this nation, and we can get occupied chasing so many other things that are pleasure, that are good, that are fun, where suddenly we can find ourselves where God has given a back seat and he's not very important in our lives. 
And so she was really encouraged people, you need to gather together. You need to pray. You need to come out to those prayer meetings. Uh, you, you need to be giving and you need to be generous. And, and, you know, those are only things that the Bible says we're to do anyways. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I'll restore their land. And, and really, that is a formula that every church should be expecting and following if they want church growth. There's a lot of books out there on church growth today. And to be personally honest with you, yeah, we've gotten some great ideas out of those books. But to be honest with you, I find that they're lacking because majority of those books never talk about this aspect that the church needs to pray. And that's one of the most important things that we need to do, as well as just as the scripture says, turn from our wicked ways and start living for God rightly. Then we'll see our land restored. Then we'll see our land healed. And so that, to me, that's really the formula for church growth that we should be following through. Now, this Phoebe Palmer, uh, she was really uh, pressing this to the people as she would share. And you got to remember back then, too, uh, women were... uh, not involved in church. Uh, they were kind of like, you stay quiet, you be seated, you don't do nothing, you, you stay in the background. And actually it was revivals that brought out women to start being in the church and being more involved in society. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. When you check your history, it was revivals that did that. And so here she is back in 1857. Her husband is the one sitting down and she's the one declaring the truth. She didn't really have a, a, a theological background, just a, a, a normal Christian that God just began to move upon and she just began to share and talk and things started to happen. And uh, so that's what she was doing, preaching those two things. And of course, the Bible says that even when it comes to tithing, uh, Malachi 3, 10 to 12, uh, as you look at those scriptures, it says, bring all the tithes in the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And then listen to what it affects, just not yourself. Your crops will be abundant. So crops are going to multiply. I will guard them from insects and disease, from the tragedies and and all those kinds of things that can happen to our crops. Your crops will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So if we were going to see our, our world change, we want to see our nation change, who would ever thought giving can make the difference? And it does. That's what she was preaching. So she was really just teaching basic passages of Scripture that have been proven for centuries as true church growth principles that will bring us in a position to encounter God in a greater way to see revival in our lives. And so maybe a question to ask ourselves, well, how bad do you want revival? You can do all these things that church growth experts tell you to do, or maybe you can do what God tells you to do. And you can start by praying, start by confessing our sins, start by living for God, start by giving the way God wants us to give then you will see the church growth that is needed. Then you will see the breakthroughs that are needed in our world. These are all things that have happened in our history that continue to happen in the history 
all revivals that take place even today, still uh, great generosity is always seen in every revival. And so those are some of the things that we see in there. Now, as Phoebe was uh, getting the opportunity to preach in a prayer meeting, uh, you'll often hear the word in revivals, we were led by the Spirit. And I think, oh, what another great church growth thing. That should be in our church growth books too. Being led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, that's you know being sensitive that even though your service is planned and God comes in, that you take the time to follow what you feel impressed God is telling you to do. Just like Lynn today. They were done their worship case. They were kind of, give me the hint, pastor, come on up here. But Lynn felt something in her heart and she responded. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. And so that's, that was another important thing. Anyway, as this prayer meetings began to go in momentum, as they're just praying, people start getting saved. Here they are, Christians are praying to God, asking God, and then suddenly people from the streets, people from the community start coming into their prayer meetings. They weren't even preaching, but they just come out of the conviction of God. They begin to cry out to God, asking God to come into their lives, and that started taking place. And it tells us that over 600 people committed their lives to Christ in that first week as she stayed there waiting for her luggage and as the Holy Spirit began to move in that city tells us as you read that, what was taking place, that people trembled in the presence of God in those prayer meetings. They began to shake and they began to be moved deeply by what they were sensing and feeling. People began to repent of their sins openly. It wasn't just, you know, that, I'm sorry, Lord, sorry. No, they were crying out. Some of them were yelling it out that I have committed this sin and that sin. There's people coming to faith without anyone saying, here's the sinner's prayer. You need to say this sinner's prayer. And if you say this sinner's prayer, then you are saved. No, they were just experiencing God and saying their own prayer from their own heart as they were experiencing the Lord. And they began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues. People were falling under the power of the Holy Spirit. That seemed very much like the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting, these people were all from different denominations of that day, different nationalities, different backgrounds, all being touched by God in these campaigns as they took place. And it tells us later that there, as Phoebe went back to New York and they're going back and forth with their conversations, uh, that they had some camp meetings and took place and there was another 2,000 people that came to Christ. And the church in Hamilton began to experience growth in numbers Every week, every day. From there, the Palmers, they go back to New York. Uh, The people in New York had heard about what God was doing in Hamilton, but God was already doing something in New York as well. And as they were experiencing some financial crisis in the world at that time, especially in the United States and some bank closures in that area, uh, businessmen began to panic, but they didn't stay there. They decided they're going to do something. So again, not the church, but businessmen decided, you know what, we need to get together and pray. And so they started contacting one another and saying, you know what, let's close our shops down at 12 o'clock and let's go to the church and let's pray. And it started with a very small group of men that began to pray. But soon things turned around and people started to come and join them and they began to pray. And then as they began, more people began to pray, 
the community started to come. And they started to pray. And again, people started to come and they're repenting of their sins. They're committing their lives to Christ. And they're just in the prayer. Nobody was even preaching or speaking. People were just giving their lives to Christ. Interesting to note there in New York, way larger city. Within three weeks, the Baptist church has reported 17,000 conversions. The Methodist churches experienced 96,000 conversions in two months. Churches in the city average, on average, about 10,000 converts a week for a period of two years. All because some businessmen got together and felt we needed to pray. We need to pray. So again, the importance of prayer and, and prayer meetings, they're very important if we want to see revival in our own lives and also in our nation. And you know, I, I think we need to get back to that place of prayer. You know, let's be honest, here in Canada, the prayer meeting is the worst attended meeting that you could have in any church in Canada. Uh, you might have only a couple people that show up if you announce a prayer meeting. That needs to change. If we really want to see our world change, we really want to see our community change, then we got to look at our prayer meetings in a whole different way. If my people will pray. Now, news carries fast, even at that time in our world. And there were revivals that were taking place in other parts. And one of the famous ones, of course, is the Welsh Revival. And I like what was said here by one of the eyewitness accounts, because this book I was reading was kind of done in two parts. It was two books put into one. And the second part was just eyewitness accounts on what they saw. And uh, this is what one of the men observed. He said, the decay of religious faith, the deadness of the churches, the atheism of the well-to-do, the brutality of the masses, all these things at their worst herald the approach of revival. When the reign of evil becomes intolerable, then the soul of the nation awakes. And I'm thinking like, wow, that's kind of describing where our world is right now. That our world is not really where it should be with God. We see the church declining here in Canada. And, and so uh, I'm thinking, well, here we are. Evil is prospering, but you know what? God is not going to allow that to continue to happen. There's going to be a breakthrough that will come. It seems that difficult times get people back on their knees, on their knees, and in ways, uh, and, and whales, sorry, that's what happened to them. They started to get on their knees. Started by people again who prayed. And, and again, it wasn't the ministers wasn't really the churches. It just happened that the people went to the churches. That's the place that you go. But it was really just ordinary people that got touched by the power of God and they decided to do something about it and they started to pray. I like to, they, some historians talked about that in one of the uh, services there that one of the things that really got it going was uh, not Evan Roberts, who was the greatest preacher at that time or no, uh, of the revival, but a young girl, they said around the age of 15, that in a service as the Spirit of God was moving upon the people, nobody was doing anything, nobody knew what to do, nobody said nothing. Obviously, the preacher said nothing. And, and so a young girl just suddenly uh, hollers out and says, well, if no one else is going to say anything, I want to tell you I love Jesus with all of my heart. And as she just spoke those simple words, people began to break down. They began to weep. They began to cry. And they say that's really when the revival really started uh, 
and wails. And so that's pretty cool that something as simple as a person crying out, sharing something that God is doing in their life could spur on a whole revival to take place. It tells us in these uh, revivals that people would come under conviction of sin and they just start crying out to God, confessing their sins, uh, repenting of their sins, professing faith in Christ. Even pastors were included in that too. Talks about one pastor that, that spoke to his congregation and says, I'm so sorry, I've been telling you the gospel for years and years and years and I've never received it myself. But today I became a Christian. And you know, that, that, uh, that's in our world today. We have pastors in churches today, they're not even saved. They've never opened up their heart to Christ. They preach a gospel, but they haven't experienced it. And so people didn't care what it was. They were not embarrassed. They just yelled it out and said, you know what, I've been doing this, I've been doing that. And they repented, and they cried out to God to forgive them. You know, testimonies would just start happening. Singing was constant. In fact, they call this revival the singing revival because the Welsh people used to love to sing so much. And uh, that's what would take place. Um, the main uh, preacher of that revival is credit to Evan Roberts, uh, 26-year-old. He was a minor, uh, feeling the call of God, so he kept changing things. He finally went to theological training, and uh, he started to do his training. But soon into that training, as he would start, he just felt to go out and preach the gospel wherever he could, whether it be on a street corner in a church or any other place. And as he started doing that, crowd started to come and God began to move. And then suddenly he just left the Bible college and he just went right into ministry and God used him in a mighty way. It was interesting that as preachers came, you know, from England and other great cities to see what's helping, uh, taking place in Wales, that they'd say, you know, he's not a very good preacher. All he preaches is just basic Christianity. But God is moving. God is moving. And, and, and that's what happened with him. He had a heart for people. He loved people. He would weep for people. And uh, in these meetings, that, that was the normal thing where people gathered for prayer. They weren't really gathering for a song service. They'd gather, they'd start praying. And as they'd pray, they'd start confessing. Uh, as they started confessing, they would bring into repentance. And they'd start coming to Jesus, expressing faith in Jesus. And then they'd break into song. And so these songs would go on like right you know, into the early hours of the morning as people would just begin to sing and pray. And, you know, if there was a lull in the service, then you got some preaching. Otherwise, you know, they just kept going on and worshiping the Lord. So that typical service would be prayer, singing, testimony, and that resulted in people coming to faith, repentance, confession, intercessory prayer, forgiveness, lots of forgiveness happening of grudges, uh, of uh, paying of debts. Uh, businesses were surprised where all of a sudden people were coming back and paying debts where they kind of written them already off. But people were coming back to, you know what, 10 years ago, I didn't pay this debt and I'm paying this debt today. People were forgiving one another, forgiving of offense. Uh, relatives, uh, families where division had separated them were coming back together. Visions and dreams and counters from God were commonplace. And people were coming uh, to, to Christ on the streets and workplaces, uh, children as young as 12 years of age, they weren't waiting for the adults to tell them what to do. They would start going on the streets. They'd start preaching on the streets. Teenagers in school, 
They wouldn't wait for their headmaster to say, you know what, we need to have prayer. They just start having their own prayer meetings. Then the college or the university or the school would find out there's a prayer meeting taking place. Where are all our students? They were in a prayer meeting. But just young people taking the opportunity to get out there and preach the gospel. And that's what revival did. It, it, it helped people to be, become evangelists and, and, you know, and to be bold. And, and that's, of course, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. It gives you a boldness to, to uh, preach the word, to tell the word. So they were fulfilling the Great Commission, going in the world and, and telling others about Jesus Christ. It tells us that in that revival that hundreds and thousands of people came to Christ. It tells us in history that local churches grew by 20,000 people in the first five weeks of the revival. One eyewitness described the revival as the book of Acts all over again. He referred to this passage that we started with of, you know, the uh, day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell. And he said, this is that. This is that. It is Pentecost continued. Now, as you look, start going a bit further than this, you look at results of the revival. And, and there's lots of results. And now, obviously, most people, they just think about this part, that people come to faith in Christ, people repent of their sins, they change away, and churches grow. And, you know, that is important. Salvation is very big to God. That is on God's heart. God has eternity in view. And sometimes we go through things in life, and we wonder why this happened, this happened, or this thing over here. We've got to remember God has an eternal perspective that he wants us all to be with him in heaven. While we ha- often have an earthly perspective that we just think of life as here and now. But salvation is the biggest thing for God. God desires all to be saved. And so that's what happens. And sometimes we kind of you know, put the line there and say, well, that's all revivals do. So some people, they criticize revivals and say, well, see, that, that's all. all you guys are interested about is your own churches. Well, that's not the truth, because revivals touch more than the church. They touch the community. Um, yes, people have their faith rekindled, but there's a lot of other things that start taking place. For example, just to start giving you some of those, ethical and moral standards get raised. They don't go down, they have a turnaround, and they get raised. Conversations, how people talk to one another, our mannerisms are changed. Women were elevated in the church and in society. That happens in revivals. People stop swearing at one another and speaking evil of one another. A great example of that in Wales was uh, the main occupation in Wales was the coal. And, uh, you know, they, they, they were very proud of that, that they were coal miners and that they ran the warships of England because they produced the coal for those ships to, to go. But anyway, so many of the men, miners got saved, changed how they spoke. It is true, it is documented in history that the pit ponies in the mine had to be retrained without curse words, without profanity, because that's how they always used to talk to the animals. So even the animals uh, kind of had a reprieve during the revival while they got retrained to listen to words without profanity. So revival cleaned up the language of people, how people talked how we dealt with one another, how we dealt with issues of racism, discrimination, slavery even at that time. What changed slavery? Revivals did. Revivals did. Revival changed workplaces and productions went up. 
Schools got established. More schools got established. The schools got better attended. Crime was diminished. Drunkenness was diminished. Prisons were reformed. People behaved themselves better, treating one another with great respect, and they worked harder. Marriages were restored. Families were restored. The treatment of women and children improved. You know, I found it really interesting that the, the revival in Wales talked so much about the men and that the men being at these meetings. There was women there as well and, and singing and were part of it as well. But it talks a lot about the men. And uh, I, I never found this out until reading this uh, particular book that kind of explains some things that are happening among the men that weren't so good and was a really good reason why the men were the ones experiencing God because they were bad, I'm telling you. They were bad. They were not doing uh, too good. See, they would leave their minds with the pay and they would go to the pubs and gambling places and they'd spend all or most of their money and then they'd come home to their wives and their children and they'd hardly have any money to clothe their families, uh, for the wife to get groceries or even for the kids to have clothes on their backs. And a correction needed to happen in that society. What brought that correction? A revival did. The revival caused the men to get their priorities straight, to look after the wives and children. They stopped going to the pubs and the gambling places, so much so that the pubs and gambling places closed. Many of them closed. Not all of them, but many of them did. I found it interesting that a report in one of the newspapers declared this to be the best Christmas For many children, as it said, as money usually spent in public houses has now purchased groceries, Christmas toys, food, clothing, new prosperity to family happiness, increased school and church attendance as they were not embarrassed anymore that they couldn't have good clothes or be well-fed when they go uh, to these places. Got changed because of revival. Revival brought joy in the community. People literally would sing going to work. Imagine that. And then after going to work and going through your hard day, come out of there and you were still singing. That's pretty good. There was a fresh joy in the community. So revivals is not just for the church. Revivals may start in the church or involve the church. Corrections happen in the church. And of course, God always deals with the church first. You know, judgment starts at the house of God. God will start dealing with Christians first. As he starts dealing with Christians and their bad behavior, as he starts dealing with them and they get it, you know, correct it, then it goes out and starts touching the world and in many good ways. So as a church and as a society today, I think we could use some correction from some bad behaviors that we excuse today. Revivals are good for the church and they're also good for our community and for our society. And so this morning as we close you know, I hope this stirs something in your heart today that, yeah, we, we are in that place where we need a revival. We really do. Some th- we need some corrections to take place, not just in the church, but in our world. And with all the chaos that is happening in our world today, what better time could there be? And history has proven itself that often in times like these where you're going to start looking forward to a revival to take place. And I believe that we are poised for just such an event. The church in Canada is struggling. Society is struggling. Often we're just looking to ourselves at all the answers. We got them. Even in the church. Where's the church looking for answers? It's looking to, you know, the latest guru out there, the latest thing on the internet. 
you know, the latest Facebook post, the latest book. It's already in the Word of God. If my people will humble themselves, start seeking my face, start praying, start calling on me, then you'll start seeing those things that you need. It's important to check our history because when we don't check our history, we'll start believing a whole lot of lies that aren't true. Revivals are needed. Revivals don't just change the church, they change society. And so as we have this week of prayer, let's not take it lightly because prayer can make a difference. Maybe we won't have everybody here out for prayer. But maybe something in those noon hours might, something might happen where all of a sudden God starts to move. Or maybe if you're having a prayer meeting in your home this week and you get a few of your friends over and you say, let's just come and pray and God starts moving in your house and that starts to spread. It can happen from little children right on through. You know, last week... uh, Watch that little girl that was coming up here and she's walking all around. I think that was only her second time in church. Clapping her hands, lifting up her hands. No one taught her that stuff. I wonder if God wasn't just moving in that little child that day and maybe we were just too busy in the rest of our service that we didn't notice that he's already moving. He's already speaking to people. He's already touching people. And I know that sometimes we can be guilty as a church saying that, yeah, I'm waiting for that revival. I'm waiting for that revival. No, you don't just keep waiting. You start praying. You start doing something about it. We start seeking the Lord ourselves that God might use us to start something so great and so wonderful that this world would never be the same. 